everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. I have a great guest that you may or may not have heard of. His name is John Kim, better known as the Angry Therapist. He pioneered the online life coaching movement seven years ago after going through a divorce, which led to his total rebirth. He quickly built a devoted following of fans who loved the frank and authentic insights that he shared on social media. He became known as an unconventional therapist who worked out of the box by seeing clients at coffee shops, on hikes, and a CrossFit box. John and his partner, Vanessa, lived together in Los Angeles with their daughter, and together they co-authored the book we'll talk about called It's Not Me, It's You, Break the Blame Cycle, Relationship Better. John and I have a great conversation about relationships, singlehood, making your relationship a priority when you're parenting, and a lot of other juicy stuff. Before I dive in, I want to thank my sponsor, Organifi. You know I love Organifi, especially this time of year where I can heat up the Organifi Gold Mix. It's their turmeric blend, a little coconut milk. And I'm always on top of my green juice, my red juice, and my immunity packets. Get, get all the good ingredients, all the good stuff. Hey, if you're looking for a Christmas present, maybe, or an Organifi goodie bag for someone that you want to take better care of or who you think needs to take better care of themselves. Get 20% off all your Organifi products when you go to Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash over it and use the promo code over it at checkout. Again, Organifi.com slash over it, promo code over it at checkout. All right. And now on to my conversation with John. Well, John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I feel like anyone who's in this work, who has a passion for for helping people and doing it in a big way, like you, has a story behind it. Their their why yeah, uh, that motivates sure. them in terms of why they do what they do, and usually there's a personal reason. So, do you mind sharing what your why is? Yeah, my why started with a broken heart. It started with a divorce twelve years ago, around 2010. And I had to start all over and I was in transition as far as careers. And I kind of left with nothing. I had this joke that I left with a pillow. It was a Tempur-Pedic pillow, but she got to bed. <laughs> and and that, was, uh, that was it. It was a fancy pillow. And then I got on Craigslist, found the roommate and just started from there. And I was on my way to becoming a therapist. And I started a blog. Uh, I had a Tumblr blog called The Angry Therapist. I just thought that a, a therapist that was angry was kind of funny and I uh, <laughs> didn't think anyone would read it. And I just started documenting, and that was kind of the first domino. That's what uh, that's what I used to build an audience, and then eventually um, help people in a way that was um, um, more honest to me and uh, mm-hmm. a little bit out of the box. And yeah, and then books, and you know everything that uh, all mm-hmm. the coaches and therapists are doing these days. Mm-hmm. You said helping people in a way that's more honest to me. I'm going to tell you what I interpreted, but I'd love you to clarify that. So. What I have found in this work, especially being, you know, a coach, therapist, helper type person, is that often there's this expectation that our lives are supposed to be perfect and mm-hmm. we're supposed to have it all figured out and to be aspirational. And what I have found and what I really love about my community is I get to be honest and say, okay, here are the things that I've dealt with in my life. And here are the right. things that I'm still struggling. Like my audience knows I'm a warrior. <laughs> They know I've worked on this for years and years and years, and it's still there. And they know a lot of other things. So that's my interpretation of what you meant by that. But I'd love you to clarify. Yeah, of course, exactly what you're saying. But on top of that, uh, I come from the clinical world. And there was there's just a lot of red tape, a lot of shoulds. Mm -hmm. And when I was working as a therapist in treatment centers and, and, you know, uh, tucking my shirt in, I kind of felt like Clark Kent pushing a mail cart. 
And then when I came home and I was on Tumblr and I was making, you know, silly YouTube videos and kind of uh, using uh, social media wasn't even really around then, but kind of like using the Internet as a therapeutic tool. I felt like Superman. I felt like, oh, I want to work this way. And so I called myself a coach because as a coach, uh, you could do more. Mm-hmm. And there isn't, uh, there isn't, as you know, there isn't a board uh, breathing down your back. So right. I, I started to meet people um, at the park and I was doing sessions in coffee shops. And I just ended up being kind of like a, a hybrid, but more working um, as a relationship coach instead of, or a life coach instead of a, a therapist, even though I have a clinical background. So that's, that's what I mean by working in a way that's more honest to me. Jeans, t-shirt, mm-hmm. motorcycle, I'll meet you there kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever take clients on your motorcycle for a session? That would be, no, that'd be the that'd motorcycle be little, therapist. Yeah. That's a yeah. liability. I know, but it'd be a good niche. And you and I got divorced pretty much around the same time as well. Mm. It must have been something in the air. I, would, I think I got divorced in 2009, 2010, around there. And it was also um, the inspiration for my third book, Expectation Hangover. Because mm-hmm. I, one of my specialties is helping people leverage disappointment, not in the positive psychology, the grass is greener, let's find the silver lining, but in a, when things quote unquote fall apart, yeah. there's massive opportunities to leverage that for learning and to go all the way in. So you don't have to do it again. Sure. And I was clear when I got divorced, I'm not doing this again. And I didn't get married until 2019. So wow. So did you have to rebuild all over or was your divorce like what was it for you? The divorce was pretty clean. We didn't even have lawyers. Yeah. We just went through we the people. That was pretty clean. But my ex definitely made more money than I did. And I didn't go after, you know, the alimony type things. So I really yeah. had to rebuild. But it was interesting for me because it was a tricky situation because things weren't awful in our relationship. I, mm. I secretly wanted him to cheat or start doing drugs or, you know, something to give me a reason. And I think he probably did too, but we just weren't a fit. And when we went our separate ways, it was me really, really listening to my intuition versus Mm -hmm. the, this checks all the boxes. So it was a huge risk for me and all my hair was falling out and I tried to make it work and he tried to make it work. And it just Mm. wasn't, it just wasn't working, but it wasn't not working either. You know, (laughs) you guys weren't fighting or hating each other. It seems Mm -mm. like, uh, it seems Not like the relationship all. dynamic was uh, e- either changed or was never there from the beginning, but it seemed yeah. like, um, was it chemistry? Was it attraction? Like all that? You, did you see uh, your your ex-husband more of like a sibling or what? I think eventually it was like, more how did, of a How did you know thing? that this wasn't a good fit? Well, uh, the big thing was when we got married in my late 20s, I think I was 27, 26 or 27, something like that. Mm-hmm. I had just, mm-hmm. before I met, when I met him, I had just been dumped by my fiance like six months prior. So I was one of those 20 somethings who really had a clock in my head of getting married by 30. And now here I am like having a baby in my forties. I completely threw the clock away, but I had this, you know, expectation that I need to get married by the time I was 30. And then, so I married someone safe and I think he married someone safe and we both, Mm -hmm. we, we were what I called journey mates. There was something that happened in my life and something that happened in his life. And we were the perfect people to go through that together. I also really got on my spiritual path. I got off antidepressants that I had been on since I was 11. Wow. So that was a huge changing point for me and really valued growth. And we just started growing in different directions. And so when that relationship ended, it was um, like you, it was was different in terms of I didn't leave with just my Tempur-Pedic pillow, but I left without a sense of any safety or security and a massive, Mm -hmm. this is not where I'm supposed to be. I'm not supposed to be getting divorced at 
whatever age I was, early 30s. So that was a big opportunity for me to look at, okay, how do I do relationships and how am I going to prevent this from happening again? And I have no judgment on divorce. People could divorce multiple times. Like it's all, it's all yeah. learning, but I knew I didn't want to go through it again, which brings me to a question for you. Cause I know relationships are your jam. First part of the question is why in your, in your work, in your mind, do we go after quote unquote, the wrong relationships? And Two, how do we know when a relationship actually is aligned? Because chemistry can be really confusing. Sure. Wow. These are questions that have so many layers and <laughs> we could talk about <laughs> forever. But so the first question, what was the first question? Because I was thinking about the first the question one. was, why do we, and I have my, you know, idea of why this is, but why, oh, do, why we do we go get after into the wrong relationships? relationships? Yeah, I think... <sighs> Man, I think there's a lot of stuff that happens underneath that we're not aware of. And if we're not aware of them, then we fall into relationships that may be unhealthy. We may be uh, tracing old patterns. We may be running toward um, something based on what we need at that time. Like, for example, for you, it was safety and you had the pressure of a ticking clock, right? And we're not aware of these things. We do things a lot of times subconsciously, sometimes yeah. something um, familiar and, you know, no one enters adulthood unscarred. So if we have had some kind of uh, chaotic upbringing or, or trauma, we may be tracing that blueprint without worrying, being aware of it. And, you know, this is where like a lot of people say, oh, I keep dating the same person. And yeah, it's because you're you're following the same kind of patterns. I think once we're aware of these patterns and actually make an effort to break them, then we could actually create something that is new. And that new, uh, a lot of times, isn't exciting. It's it, it may feel boring. It may feel uncomfortable. It may feel like, oh, I don't know about this. But then on the other side of that, you give yourself a, a brand new love imprint. And I think then you realize, oh, okay, this is this is good. This is healthy. This is exciting. This is what I, not only what I want, but it's also what I need. Yeah. Do you think before you get to the second part, do you think that we can get into healthy relationships without doing work on our childhood and our relationship with our parents? Oh man. I think we can get into relationships by checking a lot of boxes and pulling from logic. The thing about like working on yourself slash, you know, as they say, my, my world doing the work and all that, it's not, it's an ongoing thing. So it's not like you do it and then you find your person and you're done. You're like, you've reached the island. Wouldn't that be it's nice? A, yeah, yeah, that would be nice. Uh, it, it, it's the rest of your life thing. So if you're not pedaling that bike, I think by default, you're just going to fall into relationships and unhealthy patterns and trouble and chaos and you know you have to learn how to resolve conflict and look inward and take ownership and all these things that require a shit ton of work and so yeah without those things um usually relationships don't have legs yeah they don't so let's talk about the chemistry thing because this can be confusing yeah and i i've had so many people friends and clients and myself included back in the day where they're just like think they think that they're so in love but mm -hmm. it's really just chemistry and my personal view on chemistry is it's it's hottest and most intense in what I call issue-based relationships, meaning all right. my subconscious issues are perfect match for all of yours. So like if you if I'm anxious attachment and you're avoidant, perfect. If my father was an alcoholic and you have a drinking problem, perfect. Like, but the chemistry is hot because it's the only thing that would make us go for this person. 
to bring a lot of these issues to surface so we can deal with them. I have found, and I, I think I heard this from Alison Armstrong, that when chemistry is at like a nine ten, right off the bat, run the other direction. Yeah. You're generally yeah. in trouble. So I'd be curious to hear what, what your views on chemistry. Yeah. And I don't want to generalize, but I agree with that. I believe the lightning in the bottle can be dysfunction, right? So mm-hmm. we fall into relationship patterns and a lot of them are unhealthy. And uh, I think a lot of times we mistake chemistry for some kind of sticky dynamic that we have with someone that isn't coming from a healthy place. Mm-hmm. And of course, it feels amazing. And we're getting, you know, chemicals and dopamine in our brain. So uh, it also translates well into the bedroom. I'm not saying that it's healthy, but as far as like, you know, hot passion, that kind of animalistic intimacy and sex. So we can also mistake that for chemistry. But then when you really, you know, roll your sleeves up and get to know someone 360 and now want to build something with someone, that's when, you know, you realize, oh, wait, the chemistry isn't going to isn't going to get me through building a sustainable relationship. What are, what are some red flags that people can look out for when it comes to dating so that they're not in, you know, going after something that isn't going to be sustainable or they're just repeating a pattern? Um, I think reactions. So people who are reacting instead of responding is a huge red flag. Defensiveness. So whether it's you or your partner or both, if you're defending, um, because it's really not about, uh, how many times we fight, it's about how we fight. And if we don't know how to fight, if we're holding up shields and defending and no one's taking ownership, um, you can't build anything. You know, you're, you're, you're building on sand. Um, and also, if you're in a relationship where I think you start to break up with yourself, that's a red flag. You know, like you're doing everything you can and you're, you know, um, looking at the relationship, looking inward and you're doing everything you can, but it just the dynamic or the other person, um, something is allowing you to break up with you. I think that's a, a huge sign. A huge, some red flags for me back in my dating world, which I'm so glad I'm done with, were mm. when I had anxiety. When I mm. had the anxiety and then I'd be um, relieved when I'd get the text. And I'd be like, man, my anxious attachment is really acting up. I thought I dealt with this. And it was a couple of things. Yes, it was my own attachment style being rubbed up, but it also was my body and my subconscious telling me this is not a fit. Because for me, what was such a key thing with my, my now husband was from the get-go, he was consistent. And we had mm-hmm. a, a three-month relationship over WhatsApp because I lived in San Diego and he lived in Perth, Australia before we ever met mm-hmm. in person. So it was a lot of communication and a lot of back and forth. And from the get-go, I knew where I stood and there was consistency. And so that's a big one for me is when you have anxiety, you have uncertainty, you're not sure where you stand. I'm not saying on the first date, someone should be like, I'm clear that I want to get married and have two kids and you might be that person, but their words and their behavior match. And there isn't that feeling of, of anxiousness, you know? Um, and I'm a woman and I hear this more from women. But do you, do you find that men experience that too? Like that, that anxiousness and that wanting to hear back or. or Yeah, I, um, I tend to, um, swing on the, uh, anxious attachment as far as on that spectrum, my partner is more of an avoidant. So, I mean, we're both swimming towards the care and we've done a lot of work. Uh, but yeah, I think I snap back often. I think I have anxiety, not as much as I did my twenties, but just because I'm anxiously attached, Mm -hmm. wanting, you know, the text back or a compliment or 
her to sex me or to, you know, when I come home for her to um, prove to me that she's still attracted to me, like all these things. And uh, she's not wired that way. She's more avoidant, right? She would rather be left alone. Um, And so, yeah, absolutely. I I think, um, I think you're right. Anxiety can be a a definitely a radar detector, but also I think you have to figure out if how much of that anxiety is produced by you and your response right. and that's your responsibility. So if I'm expecting something from her that is because of my stuff or that's unreasonable, then that's something I need to work on. That's not a red flag. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, but I get being in something where things are unsafe or uh, there's no consistency and you're kind of left wondering and all of that stuff, right? Which doesn't have to do with attachment styles. I mean, those can activate your attachment styles, right. but that's just, it's just in a relationship where there's a lot of ambivalence and, 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 and that can be a red flag for sure. Yeah. Right. Right. And I, I tried to blame it too much on my attachment style and my issues versus going, you know what, this is the red flag. This yeah. person isn't communicating. This person probably is dating other people. This person is being elusive. Like this is not, this is not how I communicate. So why do I, yeah. why am I tolerating this? And the answer was chemistry. <laughs> That was what hooked me in. Mm. So she said I repeated that pattern two or three times before I finally got the memo on that one. So right before me uh, getting on this call with you, I texted my partner, hey, if you have any dirty thoughts today, share them with me as mm-hmm. as just a fl- flirtation. And, you know, mm-hmm. and the text I got back like 30 minutes later was um, our Idlewild house pipes are frozen. and so yeah that's that's very hot so obviously that's more important than me trying to flirt with her but there's a little part of me that's like oh wait you didn't answer the other question and so you know I have to look at that and be like okay it's not that she doesn't want to sex me back uh there's like an emergency happening right now so of course that's going to come above you know, the text that I sent. And so that's my responsibility. That's my ownership. That's not a red flag. That's not her not hitting the ball back, if that makes sense. It does. But let's just say that she did realize that she sort of bypassed your text to deal with an emergency, but -hmm. she knows you well enough to know that might've stung a little bit. How could she or anyone, because I want to talk about being a good apologizer, because I think that's the ownership is so key in a relationship. Sure. How do we become a better apologizer in relationship? Well, I mean, she knows my uh, love language is words of affirmation. And she knows that um, I'm a little kinky and I love dirty talk and all that. So I don't think that it warrants an apology. But I think if later she responded to the text after the emergency, that would mean a lot to me. Right. So it's more of like feeling heard and understood and, and seen. I think that goes a long way. Now, if she completely ignores the text, I think that's okay too because she's got a busy day. I don't think it's enough for me to 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 make a fight about it. That's me self-soothing myself. But if I got a text back, yes, I would like it. It would make me feel good, you know. But it's not like if I didn't, I wouldn't. I, it wouldn't be a fight. It's yeah. not a big enough to be a fight. Yeah. 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 No, I hear that, and I think that's what we need in relationship is perspective. I'm like, okay is this big enough to make a big deal out of it? Or can I look at this, understand the circumstances and be like, you know what? No, I'm actually not hurt over this one. I completely understand. But in those moments- yeah, it's, it's, also, us- it's also more than perspective. It's reparenting, right? So I mm-hmm. think um, 
um, sure, uh, putting on new lenses and walking in someone else's shoes, pulling back, seeing the 30,000 foot, but also re like, like soothing yourself, reparenting yourself, not having someone else take care of your, your needs. I think that's a big one. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So for people that have been in relationship for a while, what's something that, that they can do to improve the health of the relationship? Even if the relationship's going pretty well, what's something they could do to make it even better? Oh man. I think on the surface, especially uh, someone with a three-year-old, you have to schedule in the date nights. You have to schedule in, especially after you have a kid. I mean, um, it's so easy to forget about the relationship when uh, you are, you know, either raising a child or building your empire, doing whatever you're doing. Like, like the day goes by so fast and then it's been a week or two and you guys haven't spent time with each other. So, so I, literally putting it in a Google doc, a shared doc, or, or I mean, Google calendar or something where it's locked in instead of, it's just a, oh, we need to do this or we should do this. And it never happens. Yeah. My husband and I get to get way better at that. We have not been good at that the past nine months but we, we get to shift it. So thank you for that reminder. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then also checking in with each other. You know, I know that with my partner after having a child, I mean, um, there's so much that uh, a woman goes through, you know, um, uh, with body, with, uh, how she feels with feeling touched out, all of that stuff. And so if that's communicated, it's a lot easier for me to take things less personally, or to, you know, to understand one's, one's journey, I think. And, and on the other side, too, her, her understanding where I'm, I'm at and, and what I'm struggling with, uh, usually that, that makes a relationship stronger, produces relationship glue. Unless people are being defensive and pointing fingers, then it could be a crowbar and push people away. Yeah. A question that comes up so much on the show is, what do I do if I'm in a relationship and I'm valuing growth? I'm doing the work, Mm -hmm. but my partner isn't. I think before you jump ship, I think first expressing and being concerned that people are growing apart because of their evolution or lack of evolution. But I I think it's not about um, pointing fingers or blaming or you should do that. It's just addressing the concern. And then I think the partner's response to that will be very telling, right? Like if the the partner, because you can't force someone to grow, you are on your journey And you share your journey with your partner, and hopefully that's a catalyst to their journey. But they have to want to work on themselves uh, on their own. You know, it has to be for them, not for you. Mm, Yeah. And so, I mean, it's like working out or like a lot of times we get into relationships and in the beginning, everyone's taking care of their own bodies and, you know, um, they're out working out and trying to look great. And then they get into a relationship and suddenly it's, um, they drop the ball or they get, you know, the sweats and Netflix and chips and you still can't tell your partner to go work out. You could say, I'm concerned because I see you eating fast food every day. You know, I'm, I care about your, your being, but that person has to want it, um, for him or herself. And I think it's the same with uh, self-betterment, you know, they, they have to be on a, they have to be thirsty for it, for them, not doing it for you or it doesn't work. Yeah. Well, and I've, I've seen so many relationships when one person's into growth and the other one isn't, and it's not a black and white answer of yes, it can work and no, it can't. It really depends on the couple. I can think of one couple off the top of my head and she's really into personal development and spiritual stuff and loves doing retreats and, and her husband just loves his business and he's not into all that stuff. And they actually make it work because she fills that cup with her friends. She gets that 
spiritual mm-hmm. connection, talking about personal development work there. And with her husband, she focuses on doing things with him, having a great sex life and enjoying empty nesting and, and has accepted it. And for years she was miserable because she kept trying to get him to change. And I remember having a conversation with him, with her saying, either you accept he's not going to change or you leave. But this place you're in about staying married and wanting to be married to someone different is not working. And then in other circumstances, like my own that I shared, if, if like the other person not being into growth is preventing the marriage from growing and there isn't a level of acceptance you can come to, then oftentimes there is an expiration date. So, you know, I think it really depends on, on the couple. Yeah. And you know what, what really is what, what, what breaks a relationship is if you're into growth and, and self-betterment and, and evolution, you're doing everything to grow as a person, uh, your partner is not, and the dynamic changes. So basically um, the attraction phase, like almost like you're not attracted to the person anymore because of the drift. So it's not so much that they're not into what you're into because people can be into different things, but if it affects the dynamic of the relationship where uh, it starts to, to then impact the attraction, you know, yeah. then, then it can be uh, damaging. I have this thing called from mouth to nipple uh, comes from my own story where um, <laughs> I went from someone's mouth as a partner to their nipple as a more of a child. And then the relationship changed where uh, she was more my mom than my partner. And of course, you know, that's going to directly affect the, the attraction and chemistry. Oh, yeah. Massively, right? Yeah. 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 I think that's a dynamic we have to watch out for is the sibling dynamic and the parent dynamic. Yeah. 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 And also with entrepreneurs the and coaches and things that the coach co-CEO dynamic where it's just like a business arrangement that you're both in and you always talk about work. So I think there's, yeah. there's, there's different things to, to look out for. But let's switch to the single people because I know a lot of very frustrated single people yeah, who are like, I am doing all the work. I know I'm a great catch. And what gives? Why am I still single? What's going on? How can I make dating? less draining and daunting and are there any like good men or good women out there for me so what do you have to say to the single people john yeah there's no um unfortunately there's no magic answer or recipe um but i know that right now especially with uh swipe culture and you know we've kind of become baseball cards right like i grew up in the 80s i i i had to like muster up the courage to walk up to someone and, and ask them out and ask for the phone number. And then I would wash my car and I would make reservations and get excited about the yeah. date. And none of that happens anymore. You, you know, you swipe. Yeah. And then, I mean, people are swiping for another date while they're in the restroom on their current date kind of thing, you know? And so uh, we've become disposable. There's also a lot of false advertising. So I, I get it. It's very frustrating. Um, my most popular book is called Single on Purpose, and that's because it hit a hit a nerve with single people, uh, mostly women in their 30s and 40s who feel like there is a ticking clock and frustrated that um, they're just not meeting quality singles, you know. And I think um, when you're single, the soil for growth is the richest, right? Because you don't have to answer to anyone. I mean, it's just I mean, you shouldn't have to answer to anyone in a relationship as well, but like, it's just you, you have all the time. You could design your life any way that you want. And 
I think many single people, instead of focusing on their relationship with themselves, that uh, they are uh, just kind of waiting for someone to come into their life and they're kind of depressed and down. And a lot of times all the other parts of their life is really good, like friendships, business, and all that. And they're just missing this one piece, which makes it harder. And so there's so much pressure to find someone. And instead, I think you have to tell yourself that you're going to meet someone, of course, because you have met people. Uh, the question is not when, but who do you want to be when you do meet this person? What are you going to bring to the table? What's going to be different this time? Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I mean, the thing that got me through my nearly decade of single years was when I really started enjoying my life and also owning the fact that I was calling in relationship. So I did the whole, not enjoying my life, trying desperately to find someone, the whole, Mm -hmm. like, I'm just going to focus on me and I don't care about a relationship, which wasn't true. And then I wasn't drawing anything in. And I finally found that balance to long without suffering. Yeah. And, you know, I've also had, you know, long stretches of singlehood. I mean, after my divorce, I was single for like four years, just trying to get on my feet. And one thing that really kind of helped me that I keep in my back pocket is where are you going and then who's going with you? And if you flip the order, you're going to be going by yourself. And it it reminds me of what you're saying. It's like, what do you want to do on this planet before you die? Go do that. Because that's a ride someone's going to want to get on, you know? Instead of, I need to find my partner, I'm going to hit pause on life. And then when I find my partner, then I'm going to start the ride. Right, right. You know? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I kept saving things. Like there was this one really cool resort I wanted to go to and I was saving it for my partner. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> go to that damn resort. I'm going to go. And I went and I was the only single person there. People looked at me like I was, I don't know, crazy, but, um, it was, that's a it was great, great example though. That's a great example. I would, um, I would, I would like, I would not furnish my part, my apartment, or I wouldn't decorate things because I was like, Oh, when I find my partner, then I'm going to start the process. And yeah. a friend was like, why? Like make yeah. your home, your home. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Shifting back to relationships, because this question just popped in. What do you think it's really important to model in front of your kids in terms of your relationship with your partner? Oh, I would say, um, I mean, if I was to pick one word, I would say honesty. I think a lot of parents are fake in front of their kids. I think the worst thing you could do is hide in front of your kids because they know, they feel the energy. And then you're setting that example to be passed down to them. I'm also not saying that you should, you know, throw chairs and, and but and 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 then do you know have arguments in front of your kids, but in a healthy way, set the example of being vulnerable and transparent and talk about whatever, you know, uh, the elephant in the room. So it's not in the room anymore, and that the kids know that through communication, you know, things can be resolved. Yeah, yeah, I think that's important. I also. One thing that Steph and I talk about about in terms of what we want Athena to see, that's our daughter, is affection and, mm, and yeah. intimacy. Yeah. And and this, you know, I always said before I had kids or a kid, I, I have one single child. And I used to say, oh, no, the relationship has to be the priority. I see too many people where the kid becomes the priority and women make yeah. the kid the priority instead of the relationship. <laughs> It's amazing what you'll say before you actually are a parent. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, the child's totally my priority. And she's also nine months and that's probably how it should be right now. But I'm aware 
that for the sake of our relationship and for the sake of modeling for her, it's not necessarily like a hierarchy. And I don't think like somebody should be more important than the other person or whatever, but I know it is going to be important for me and my marriage and for my daughter to see that like daddy's, daddy's a priority for mommy too. And the relationship's Mm -hmm. a priority and it's not all focused on you, especially because we're probably only going to have one. And so that balance of and I think a lot of parents, especially when you have more than one, fall into this of if everything comes becomes about the kids and not about the relationship. So for parents, I know you mentioned date night, but I'd love to unpack this a little more. The parents that are listening now that are thinking, you know, oh my gosh, the kids completely get all of me and my relationship mm-hmm. gets the scraps. Yeah. How can we start to shift this without, you know, negatively impacting the kids, without guilt? You know, how do we do that? Yeah, I think step one is just being aware and making the intention, drawing the line. Like what you just said was it's really important for me and my partner to we're the son the kid revolves around, not not the other way around, right? So to continue to show affection and be affectionate. Now, of course, you have to decide what that looks like, right? As far as what's appropriate and inappropriate, but um showing affection, being intimate and all that. Um, in front of your your child, I think is yeah, I think it's huge. I I grew up um, with old school Korean parents who slept in separate rooms, and I never in my life, I in my entire life, I never saw uh, my mom and dad kiss or be intimate. I mean, they would joke about it, like she, like he would, like you know, try to like grab her hand and she would push him away. But I've I've never seen them like look into each other's eyes and kiss my entire life, and so. Wow. Yeah, I I think that um, that shouldn't be the case because what do, what are you really modeling for your your children? You know. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But going back to your question, yeah, setting the intention, making it important, and then I think it's it's really execution, doing the work, whether it is uh, uh, making sure that the date nights are happening or making sure that you are uh, being okay with being affectionate in front of your children, scheduling sex. I, I used to. Uh, I used to be the guy that was like, I'm never going to schedule sex. That's so unromantic and sex should be spontaneous. Um, and then, then I had a child and I was like, okay, let's, let's put it in the the Google calendar because it's never going to happen unless we do. Yeah. yeah. Do you schedule it as sex or do you have code names for it that you put it in? Uh, it's called uh, either if it's in the afternoon, uh, which it is usually because uh, after about, after the baby goes down, we're so exhausted, but um, it's called like afternoon delight or sexy time or something like that. I love that. That's great. It, de- it, de- it depends on who's, it depends on who's scheduling it. Cause if she does it, <laughs> it's going to be something like that. If I do it, of course it was, it's going to be a little more graphic. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. I want to talk about your latest book as we start to wrap up here. It's not me. It's you. Which is yeah. great. Break the blame cycle relationship better. Tell us about this book. What can people get from this book? Yeah. So my partner is also a therapist and that's now my fourth book. And I, I thought, okay, I've always wanted to write a relationship book. And if I do that, what would make a better book? Me just writing it alone, talking about my journey revelations and stuff. Or what if I brought my partner in, who's also a therapist and she could check me on my shit. I could check her. And I think I made the right call. I think the the book is better because we co-authored it two therapists pulling the curtain back and dissecting their own mm-hmm. relationship, right? And so it was really hard because um, she 
was calling me out on my stuff and, and, and me as well with her. And for us to revisit, uh, cause our relationship was really rocky in the beginning and I was ambivalent and I didn't create a safe space. And so, um, we had to go back into the time machine, which was reactivating. And it was, uh, it was a ride. Um, but I think because of the book, it made us closer to work on something that was bigger than us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Writing a book, writing a book on your own is tough enough. Writing it with another person is a, yeah. is a testament to your relationship. So, Thank so you. that's beautiful. Um, so for people that want to connect with you, that want to learn more, where can they find you, John? Um, at The Angry Therapist, just across social. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, theangrytherapist.com is just a website. I love that. You have a great um, Instagram account too. You do a lot of great videos oh, thank and you. offer a lot of value. Are you still yeah. seeing one-on-one clients? Not as much. I'm busy um, building communities, writing books, and uh, doing retreats and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, as we wrap up, for anyone that is in your shoes circa 2010, who's going through a divorce or going through a breakup, mm-hmm. and metaphorically, they feel like they have a Tempur-Pedic pill that they don't even like. That's it. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> what message do you have for them? Oh man, I started with what would it look like for me to pull from my solid self instead of pseudo? What would it look like for me to stop exchanging membership for my truth? What would it look like for me to start getting to like me? Uh, loving yourself can, I think, be slippery in a bumper sticker, but what does it look like to like yourself? Because that has to be earned. And so, that's where I started, and that equaled uh, motorcycle. That equaled getting into fitness. That equaled a lot of lonely nights sitting in restaurants by myself, listening to Wayne Dyer and other other pod, you know, and uh, long walks and a lot of self reflection and journaling and blogging and all that. And so mm. that was that was what it took for me. Mm. Well, I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for. The work that you're doing in the world for being willing to, um, you know, take the therapeutic game and shake it up a little bit and, and offer people a maybe less serious approach, which I think when it comes to personal development and dealing with our deepest, darkest stuff, sometimes we need some lightness to it. You know, if yeah. we're, we're so clinical and we're so intense and so serious all the time and so professional. Um, it can just create rigidity. So I uh, thank you for offering some balance and I'm not throwing therapy under the bus at all. I think it's very, very useful. Right. Um, I just yeah. like you're, you're bringing your own authentic expression to it because I think for anyone who's any, in any career, coach, therapist, electrician, politician, whatever it is, there's sometimes a box we think we have to fit in. So I appreciate you being example, an example for finding your own authentic expression within a lane. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And um, thank you for all the work that, that uh, you're doing and being a catalyst in well. Ah, it's fun. I enjoy it. That's for sure. (laughs) Thanks, John. Thank you. Be well.